All right, welcome to the Layer of Secrets podcast, the podcast about gaming and being a geek by two middle-aged geek dads. I'm Ken Newquist, and I've officially caught up with David. Yep, I'm I'm 50. Whoa. <laughs> Happy birthday. Whoa. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. This 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 milestone seems a bit more impactful than than birthdays in years past for me. So Yeah, it does. A little bit. A little yeah. bit. But that's okay. Don't worry, folks. We're still geeks. <laughs> yes. We're just a little bit older. Definitely. Geeks. Definitely. Uh yes. And I'm David Moore, and I am feeling more relaxed after the holidays and more like myself as than I have been in a while. Um, so I'll explain that when I get to talking about what I've been doing, but Ken, what have you been doing? Uh, well, you know, we had a plan for the holidays and then we like smashed that plan into little teeny tiny pieces because of COVID. Uh, my wife caught COVID, um, separately in a different region of the Lehigh Valley. My, uh, uh, brother-in-law, sister-in-law and niece caught COVID. So, uh, everybody's okay. Um, everybody's vaccinated and boosted and what have you. So, uh, they're for the most part, it was pretty mild, but you know, it blows up your plans. Like you can't, uh, have people over and, you know, can't do what we were planning on doing for Christmas. So it was mostly kind of a nice little, just stay at home holiday break, which was kind of relaxing, except for the parts where you had to kind of like change everything on the fly. Cause Hey, th- that's just life in the pandemic. Yes. It'd be getting better. And now it's back to the crazy. So, yeah. um, but, but during the break we did, uh, we did do some, uh, some fun stuff. So just before the Christmas break, the kids and I went to see uh, Spider-Man no way home, which was very good. Cool. I enjoyed it. Cool. Uh, I just watched, uh, my s- just watched far from home the other day so i'm i'm catching up but i'm not there yet well we had to do we had a lot of catch-up to do so my daughter hadn't watched far from home so we needed to watch that because immediately sets up the the third movie um and then uh i don't think this is a too much of a spoiler for no way home uh because it's in the teasers uh it's all about the multiverse and um villains from other movies from the previous Spider-Man movies show up in this movie. Ah. So the previous like Sony movies, right? Oh, okay. So okay. you have like Doc Ock shows up, right? And uh yes. it's it's an interesting premise. I think it's my second favorite multiverse movie. Uh uh Spider-Man Enter the Multiverse or no Enter the Spider-Verse is easily my favorite. It's just yes. super duper awesome, beautifully rendered. Looking forward awesome to the music, next one. Fantastic all around. Um but so we had to do a lot of research for this. So the kids had my kids for various reasons hadn't watched all of the previous Spider-Man movies. So we watched Spider-Man two with Tobey Maguire. Uh, we skipped Spider-Man three because Spider-Man 3. that was that was emo uh, Spider-Man, we, right? It was emo Spider-Man. Yeah, I, I think and then, I uh, happened to skip that one, too, uh, or as well. Um, yeah, one and two were really good. The Sam Raimi Spider-Man uh, directed Spider-Man ones were really good. Um, except for maybe three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, which does play into, I mean, we, we, we will probably go back and watch it. Jordan should be able to appreciate a movie that bad. Um, <laughs> but in any case, <laughs> we watched amazing Spider-Man with, uh, Andrew Garfield and then the sequel, which killed that franchise. Um, in which they, they were like, wow, this is a really bad movie. I'm like, yeah, but still not as bad as Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Man three. Um, which one was that one? Was that the one with like electro? It was with all the things, right? Like, so they, they didn't learn their lesson of Spider-Man three, which is don't include all the villains. This one had electro and hobgoblin. And, oh, right. Right. Um, also one they were that doing I everything skipped. they could to, sorry. It was all, that is another one that I skipped. 
So, and wisely, wisely. Um, and they just like were trying to set, they were, it was so clear that Sony was trying to set up a Spider Verse. Oh, it Rhino's in it too at the at the very end. Oh, they're trying to okay. do a Sinister Six because at the time they were talking about trying to do a Sinister Sinister Six movie, which is the uh, Spider Man's classic villains, right? Um, but it all just kind of fell apart under its own weight. Um, I think Andrew Garfield's actually pretty good as Spider Man, <laughs> but it was it was not a particularly good movie. <laughs> um, but I will say, I will say that I think. Spider-Man No Way Home actually does an excellent job of redeeming the worst parts of some of these earlier Spider-Man movies. So it's good mm. on its own right, but then it also actually somehow redeems the earlier movies. Like, does it reference them? Like, oh, yes. Having yes. not really seen three and the one with Electro and such, I didn't, I don't think I got those references if there were Easter egg references in there. Yeah, it's it, it is it is part it is it is very much connected to uh, all of those other movies. Okay. So I think folks who have watched the movies will be rewarded for uh, seeing this one. I don't. You can probably get away with not having seen them and just seeing uh, the two Tom Holland movies, but uh, but it, but it is good stuff. So cool. I recommend cool. it. Now uh, I don't know if I can recommend this or not. I also saw Venom: Let There Be Carnage, which is really dumb. <laughs> I have skipped every Venom movie and I don't feel bad. Um, you uh, shouldn't. <laughs> a friend of mine, she once gave me advice of don't see Catwoman, the Halle Berry Catwoman. And yes. I ignored that and to my eternal regret. Um, you know, it was not a great movie. Uh, it was not really a good movie. And so just seeing i've never honestly i've never been a huge fan of venom um i don't know any of the story i know brock is now venom at at one point um but like after secret wars and spidey getting the new black suit and then finding out it's a symbiote and then getting it off of him that's pretty and then finding it and then it becoming a villain Shortly after it becoming a villain is when I was like, okay, I'm done with that. Right. So, yeah, it's, it's a big, dumb movie. I mean, I was kind of in the mood for a big, dumb movie, so it satisfied uh, that particular itch. But it is big, and it is dumb. And is, uh, is it like Carnage is supposed good dumb, or is it just bad? <laughs> I think it's probably actually closer to good dumb. Because, okay. um, I mean, the, Airplane the versus Volcano is good dumb <laughs> um airplane versus volcano yes airplane versus volcano <laughs> it is not a um, mashup of airplane and joe versus the volcano no. it's actually airplane versus volcano yes uh dean kane who i don't necessarily agree with his views anymore but i used to be a pretty uh decent fan of him he is the star of that movie uh which is not really a good sign but anyway uh he uh the plane is flying across the ocean and all of a sudden a ring of volcanoes comes up around the plane erupting uh the pilot and co-pilot and anybody else who can fly a plane are killed except for dean kane who's a happens to be a passenger who knows how to fly basically like cessna type prop planes sort of things um, and 
they're basically circling around inside of this ring of fire volcanoes trying to find a way out before the fuel lets out. Um, they at one point have a, a Batman climb the side of the plane because like part of the plane side of the plane gets ripped off and there's so much wind there are people like trying to pull themselves back in because they've hooked a bunch of seatbelts together and there's like a Batman style let's turn the camera on its side uh, scene ba- <laughs> 1960s Batman uh, which is awesome um, and at one point the US military comes in with fighter jets to attack the volcano uh, to clear the way and they literally pull they literally rip the line straight out of Independence Day and say all right, boys, let's plow the road and then start shooting machine guns <laughs> at ejecta that's coming out of these volcanoes. So, yeah, this um, is uh this is not that. <laughs> no. No, this is this is the yeah, airplane versus volcano um still does not beat barbarians, the barbarians with the barbarian brother uh, twins. I have seen that. Yes. Yeah. So if you that if was- you like that kind of movie, you would probably like Airplane versus Volcano. If you like Sharknado, you would probably like Airplane versus Volcano. Gotcha. So. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I mean, this is like a big kind of splashy superhero-ish, anti-hero-ish movie. I mean, okay. the problem is Carnage is supposed to be like this just murderous, rampaging, symbiotic monster that... Right. Uh, matches up with a, with a um, serial killer. And so you would think that, you know, it would be more than PG 13, but it's not really right. Like it's, it's not, they don't go hard R on it. Like there's not a lot of like gruesome murders and I wasn't necessarily looking for it, but I don't know that it really spoke to the carnage part of carnage. Right? I don't, it was just kind of know like that a, carnage a meaner, ever... more over the top. Yeah. Did carnage ever do that in the comic books? Like uh, coming from a guy who never really read about it, but was comics adjacent, but like, that doesn't seem like they would something they would do in the comics either, except for maybe like show was, people lying on the floor or maybe like, like a foot and a leg partly out of frame and like blood spattery thing on the, on the wall. Like, oh yeah. I mean, it was heavily, I think it was, so I've read. I actually went back and started reading like the original like Maximum Carnage or whatever, like the first appearance of Carnage um, in Marvel Unlimited. And I didn't I did not get very far, but like in his initial breakout, like there's as I recall, there was sort of that kind of off scene off screen sort of like horrible things are happening, but they're okay. not going to show it to you because of the comics code and Marvel's going to like, you know, I don't right. know that Marvel's necessarily following the comics code for that anymore. But you know what I mean? Like they're not going to show rampant murder in a comic book because it's Marvel. Right. But uh nor are they yeah. going to do it in a movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah. It Carnage and Venom, not my thing in comics, but comics are wide and diverse. So everyone, I there, I know there is a a fan base for Venom and Carnage. If there wasn't, they wouldn't have made a movie. Yeah, so I think you just got to be in the mood for big and stupid. And if you are, okay. it's kind of like you know being in the mood for a Fast and Furious movie. Like okay. it's the same sort of dumb. Okay. All right. <laughs> Things go fast and explode. There's big dumb monsters smack talking one another and like was, occasionally muddy CGI. <laughs> I, I was actually watching a uh, a thing where Fast and Furious came up and they're like um the fist fights 
are more physically real because they were talking about like CGI, but also talking about um, the stunt work in in okay. movies and and in the Fast and Furious, like the fist fights feel more real than the cars do in Fast and Furious because they're real people punching at each other and throwing each other, et cetera. And yes, they amp it up with wire work and things like that, but you don't have um, like cars flying across three city blocks worth of stuff and landing on another high rise sort of thing. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, um, both are in the same movie, but the car physics does not match up to reality. <laughs> Yeah, and I haven't watched Fast 9 yet, so you okay. know it, it gets even more ridiculous uh, in the most recent one, from what I understand. Maybe that'll be a this weekend thing. But talking about rampant murder, uh, I got Red Dead Redemption 2 for Christmas. Oh, cool. Um, maybe it was for my birthday. They kind of blend together. And I, so I had heard really good things about it. It was It's on a like, lower price now because it's been out for a while for PS4. And um, it's a so prequel. I thought, oh, you know, I'll try it. It's a prequel, It, it right? is a prequel. Okay. I don't know. Honestly, I never played Red Dead Redemption. So Oh, okay. Okay. I haven't either. I just happen to know that that if you're expecting the main character to show up in the second one, um it'll have to be before in in time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I know I was kind of ignorant going into it. Um I knew that the basic premise and it's big, it's open, it's very kind of sandboxy, hex crawlish, right? Like sky like Skyrim with uh in the old in the old west really. Like you've mm-hmm. got just huge open expanses to go through. And it's really cool having been out in Philmont and gone backpacking and hiking and stuff, you know, like it was cool. Like they do a, they do a pretty good job. Um it is basically a western simulator and uh but you're 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 kind of at the best gray <laughs> in terms of morality, right? Yeah. Um you're part of a gang that's like, you know, trying to make ends meet, but you do that by like, you know, maybe bounty hunting and going fishing and shooting deer and stuff. Or, you know, you might like hijack a stagecoach, maybe. Sure. Sure. Um, But the thing that was funniest about it was, and my kids were just like, they would, they're older now, right? My kids are 15 and 18, right? So uh, they, they have a more of an appreciation for, I'm not going to like, there's certain video games that would not play when they were five. Right. 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 Um, Cause if they walk into the room and go, Hey daddy, why did you just gun down, gun down that man in cold blood? I'm like, well, don't you worry about that, sweetie. Just uh, you know, <laughs> go back to your Cheerios. He deserved it. Uh, but, <laughs> I mean, I'm not playing. Yeah. I'm playing. You know, no, don't worry. He had it coming. Um, but the problem is, is like I was going into town and I was still learning the controls and there's like this just hair trigger on the right. Uh, I guess R2 button where like, you're just kind of futzing around with a controller and you accidentally shoot people. <laughs> it's like I'm in town. I'm like just trying to buy some dry goods as you will when you're in town. And like I accidentally like murder, just straight out shoot the, the storekeeper. And like, then oops. like Lucas is like, what the heck did you do, dad? <laughs> like, uh, uh, and then I walk out and like now the whole town is yeah. out for me because obviously I have just murdered someone in cold blood, but I didn't mean to. <laughs> right. So there were there were a number of those kinds of incidents in the game, um, and sort of just like accidental chaos. So uh, it's uh, what it's do you do to recover from it's, that? Do you reload? Uh, you have to pay off your bounty. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess I guess I, I did. I think for that one, I actually went back to an earlier save point because uh, it does do auto saves. Um, I, I have done like things that have like just escalated quickly. <laughs> yeah, right, and I. 
it's because uh, it's funny, right? Like if someone, if so, as you're as you're adventuring, uh, you're out and about, and let's say you got ambushed by a rival gang, and so you you rightly defended yourself, but now there are these bodies lying about. Um, well, if other people come along and they see the bodies in the road, uh, they will react, right? Yeah. And so um, they will they it's will like, say, "Hey, no, no, wait, wait, no, no, they ambushed me and I killed them," and right. and they're <laughs> and you like, can do that. "Murderer, you can do it, like, murderer." <laughs> You can say, "Oh, it's no." You can so you have options. Like you can try to shoot them, you can try to intimidate them, or you can try and like defuse the situation. So I always try and defuse the situation, and they always get mad at me and shoot me, um, which just keeps getting worse, right? right. So like I've got like a five hundred dollar bounty on my head, and all I was doing was like walking down the road, minding my own business, and then things escalated quickly. So yep. Yep. generally speaking, you have to earn up enough money to pay off your bounty, and then uh, <laughs> and then things go back to normal. That's but funny. it is. Uh, <laughs> Do you earn up your bounty by crazy. killing more people and stealing and stealing the money off their corpses? <laughs> well, yeah. The, the problem is, is you know, that's not a really a profitable way of, of doing things. Um, but I will say, it's fun. Like you know, it has a Skyrimish kind of feel, and so much as how big the the world is. But cool. uh, things I don't think escalate as quickly in Skyrim. There's just not as many NPCs no. wandering around. Um, you're not as likely to get as in trouble. Like you can have bounties and what and such in in Skyrim, but it's just not <laughs> it does not escalate as quickly. Yeah, I mean, I have been playing Skyrim, and I play mouse and keyboard a lot of times. Um, and sometimes, with the way my mouse is shaped and the stuff that's on my desk, I'll move my mouse, and something will click the left mouse button, and suddenly I'll I'll like swing a sword or something like that or cast a spell and um <laughs> usually it's not a big deal usually it's me i'm sneaking up on something and then they see me uh and i was going to kill them anyway but if you're like in and walking in a shop and then all of a sudden you know hit them with a fire burst that that's not good uh but it doesn't happen quite quite as often so um yeah in skyrim you're less talking to townspeople and more delving into dungeons with the intent of cleaning them out <laughs> right yes yeah very much so so it's a it's a fun game i think it's if you're interested in sort of like open world exploration like hex crawl type stuff i would i would definitely recommend it cool um, and it's got a pretty decent story so far too um so the uh the other thing i spent time working on this christmas break which kind of relates to our main topic about game prep uh i've been struggling to map the caverns of kazeel uh so as we've talked about in previous episodes the caverns of kazeel have been the destination for my lunchtime gaming group for like the last two years they're they're finally like at the doorstep of the caverns of kazeel they'll be, probably get there in the next session and so i have okay. to actually draw the damn thing right and so i have ideas about like what it should look like but it's online and i actually want them i don't want to do this theater of the mind style we've always done minis for the online game through roll 20 so it's like how do i do this do i draw it and then scan the map and put it into roll 20 well that doesn't quite work because the hexes don't quite match up or the squares don't quite match up do i like use dungeon tiles in roll 20 and like range it that way do i get out my real world dungeon tiles. Cause the problem is, is like when you're looking at dungeon tiles in roll 20, you just have this list of all of the tiles that show you what they are. And they describe like a four by two block or whatever, but it's not quite easy to go through and see like what's what, right? So you kind of have to have an idea of what things are before you can really use them. But I have the real world versions of dungeon tiles. So like 
I'm struggling like, all right, I'm going to start sketching this. Well, this isn't quite working. I'm going to get out the dungeon tiles. Well, this isn't quite working. So all of this is just procrastinating. <laughs> yeah. I haven't actually still drawn the damn dungeon. So uh, I think this weekend I will finally get done with it and just pick one way of doing it and just get it done. But, you know, it's a challenge that like we've talked about with online gaming before. Like with this kind of stuff, normally I would just sketch it out in my notebook Um I identify some key locations and then it would be on a battle map in my game room and you know I would just sketch it out and if it's not the same well who cares right but online you know it's just more challenging because if you want to have that same battle map yeah I mean I've I've done um the donjon donjon.bin.sh uh in their random dungeon generator yep um and then I've exported that and pulled that into Albert Rodeo um, and then done a fog of war real quick, dirty fog of war on it. Um, I love doing that, but if you have a map that is the same, I, I was trying to think of the, the online map generator that, that allows you to draw and such, but I don't remember what it is. I think we've talked about it in the past. Um, might have to go look through the show notes. I know there's dungeonfog.com, but that's not the one I was thinking about. Um, uh dungeon scrawl is that what i think I it might i think for? that might be it that is the one yes uh that's just a very simple quick easy um dungeon scrawling uh you can actually export from the donjon stuff that their map format and pull it into dungeon scrawl and then edit it from there i believe Gotcha. And like with Albert Rodeo, you can similar to the way you can in Roll Twenty, um, you can adjust the 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 tiles, the squares, so that they match exactly to your map, and it it just works. Yeah. And it looks like they also have an isometric edit mode, which is kind of neat. Cool. But uh, but yeah, it's uh, I recommend that for quick and dirty. Like if you have time, it can be even better. But that's that's a good way to take a hand scrawled map and convert it to online use or just better. Yeah. Than I think I might, I had, <laughs> yeah, I had, I had completely forgotten that we had talked about this in the past. So, Hey, I'm glad I brought it up because yeah. you know, I don't want to <laughs> use a pre-gen map. Like that's the other solution, right? Like, that's what I've usually done for most of the adventures that I've run is I just take whatever I'm doing, find a map that kind of fits what I want to do. And then, um, and then just run with it. But right. the nature of the caverns of Kazil is it's it actually has to have a certain number of things that need to happen Got it. Uh, as part of the dungeon that like I really want it to be my own thing. So Got it. That <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I think that'll work pretty well. Yeah, so I'll, I know what I'm doing this weekend. So what what you been up to? Well, like I said earlier, uh, this holiday was uh, pretty quiet and peaceful. Uh, we did have one COVID scare where we had actually gotten together with extended family to get family photos. And a day or so later, I came down with a cold. Oh. And we're not sure exactly what happened. One of my younger cousins had the sniffles, but wasn't, you know, nothing more than a sniffle. Whereas I had something much more than that. Uh, but I got tested and everything was fine. Um, so it was just a cold. Um, which I'm glad for. So uh, unfortunately, a few of our friends have, uh, in addition to you, also come down with COVID lately. So, um, but luckily, it's all been 
no hospital trips from from what I've heard. Yes. So, which is really good. Yeah, it's been uh, it's spreading pretty quickly around here. So, it, yeah. but it's been more of the same from all my my friends who I know of. Like, I know of one two people for where it's been like more severe, where it's like a bad cold or yeah. like maybe akin to the flu or something like miserable enough that you're just like don't want to get out of bed for two days, right. but not like, and now I have to go to the hospital because I can't breathe. Right. Right. Yeah. I was on cold medicine a lot. Um, and that <laughs> was like, I wasn't, wouldn't be able to function without being on cold medicine. Um, but it was also one of those colds where in the before times I might've still gone to work sort of thing, right. <laughs> which I hope we don't return to that that mode of operation because that's just dumb for humans. Um, it's like, uh, Hey, I'm sick, but I have to provide for my family and my corporation doesn't understand my, the business that I work for does not understand that people get sick, uh, and doesn't give people time off and, or, or enough time off. Uh, and so you have to go in or you feel obligated to go in. Um, yeah. And then get no, I'm not everyone else bad. sick. Yeah. I'm not that bad. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, oh, after three days of feeling completely miserable, I feel human. I'm going into the office. And then, you know, you're there for an hour and you're like, I, this is a bad mistake. Right. <laughs> and all right. your coworkers are like, why are you here? Go home. Right. right. So yes, I agree. We should avoid returning to those days. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The, and part of my, uh, the rest of my intro was like, I feel more myself than I have for a while. I've been, doing things away from the computer a little bit more often when I'm on the computer, I'm much more intentional about what I'm doing on it. Uh, like Aaron and I are playing Icarus, um, which is a, a, a video game, which if I was playing it by myself, I probably would not be playing it, but because it's with Aaron, I'm playing it not because it's not a game. I normally wouldn't play. It's very, it's a survival game. You play a, a, they call them prospectors, but basically like an astronaut who's going down to a planet to prospect for minerals and things like that, uh, on a newly terraformed planet. Um, and so you're fighting off creature, you know, earth like creatures that are there, but hostile, uh, occasionally you have to deal with the weather, other things like that. Um, but we've both reached a, a particular mission where we've spent two literal days on that one mission and <laughs> the tech tree requires you to build different pieces of tech. And so we're trying to build up to the tier four stuff to actually create a scanning radar to find a set of minerals, which is the goal of this mission. And we thought we were there and then realized, Oh, we need to make composites oh, wait, the composite paste that we can make, which took a lot of gold gold ore refined into gold, gold bars, etc., cannot be smelted in the furnace that we have. We have to get the electric furnace. So we, we had just used all but like three gold bars um, because each piece of electronics takes a gold bar. And I think we'd smelted like 140 gold bars. We, we made at least 90 electronics and all this other stuff. And then we find oh out, gosh. oh, we have to make the electric <laughs> furnace. The electric furnace, 60 more electronics. So 60 more gold. And we've already prospected like across half the map uh, in the caves that, that ha allow for mining. And we're like, uh, when we found out that we're like, uh, 
okay, we're just going to give up for the day. And that was yesterday. <laughs> and, or that was, yeah, that was yesterday or day before yesterday. The thing is, is like, you only have a certain amount of real in-game or out-of-game days for different missions. So like this mission is a, is a one-week mission in real time. You can usually kind of speed through them and get through them in, in less than a day or so if you're, especially with a partner. If you're by yourself, it takes a heck of right. a lot longer. But if you miss that real world deadline, your escape cop capsule takes off without you and your prospector is lost and you have to start with a brand new prospector from oh, ground no. zero. <laughs> I think tomorrow we're going to log back in, grab the things that make any sense to us, uh, like that we can take back to the station for the cumulative kind of currency and then just abandon the mission until they patch it <laughs> or something. Right. <laughs> um, because like lack of gold is, has already been brought up and patched once. Um, and people are still complaining. about <laughs> it. I don't want to spend real world days running across, just looking, just hoping the random number generator generated enough gold that we can actually f complete the mission. Right. Anyway, feeling more like myself, uh, than I have for a while, the week off allowed me to ignore anything work related and just focus on family and having fun and other things like that. So it feels good. And uh, so I've been kind of re-sparking my creative side and fun side with reading a lot and doing some puzzles, time away from a phone even. And then, of course, toward the beginning of the thing, I caught up on a lot of uh, Star Trek. I had Paramount Plus for a little while and caught up on all of all of Star Trek Discovery that was out as of a couple weeks ago, all of season two of Lower Decks, and I got through what was released of Prodigy, which was interesting. It's definitely for kids. It's an interesting show. And it feels like the writers were like, uh, I may have mentioned this to you. I don't think I mentioned this to you uh, on, on the show, but I think outside of it was, it feels like the writers really wanted to write for Star Wars, but got hired for Star Trek. <laughs> like the tone, the snark, uh, all that kind of stuff very much felt like like the first two or three episodes. You you could have uh, not if you stripped off all the logo stuff or like the intro and the outro. If you stripped all that off and right. set and gave it to someone who is a Star Trek and a Star Wars fan and go, okay, which animation is this? Does this which universe does this belong in? I think right. I think most of them would go. This is a star. This Star Wars show. Uh, so I watched that. I watched uh, the James Webb Space Telescope get launched um, on Christmas Ooh, Christmas I, Day. I saw it after the fact, but yeah, nice. it was Christmas Day. It was kind of nerve wracking because they had that one securing clamp strap accidentally release, and it shook the whole t telescope a month or so Ooh. before the launch, and they had to test it and everything. And it launched. It it launched. It went fine. Um, and then just today I was reading the news that the solar shield, uh, that keeps the telescope cool, it has extended properly. And it's, it's like basically several layers of mylar. I don't, I don't know that it is mylar, but it looks a lot like mylar in terms of thinness, the right. size of a tennis court, several layers fully expanded oh. just recently. So that was their next big hurdle. 
as it's on its way to, I believe, the L2, uh, Lagrange point two, which is like a, a static point in space that it can orbit around and not be like orbiting the Earth, but it's more in reference to Earth is stationary. <laughs> right. It's a, it's one of the stable points relative to the Moon and Earth. Right? Yes. Yeah. I b- I believe right. the a number of different stable points because of the the gravitational pull between the two the planet and the Moon, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and it is. It is outside the moon's orbit, I believe, is the L2. Oh, wow. That's really far. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> it's going to take a few more months to get there. Um, they're on a s- slow track because they don't have humans on board like they did on Apollo. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. Yeah. And finally, uh, Matrix Resurrections came out, which I believe you also saw. I did. I won't give away spoilers, but... I I want to see it again. I liked it, but I also had some problems with it. Okay. So, like, some of the problems that I had were the way the, the, the fights and the cinematography were done felt unfinished or unpolished. And some of that was that the studio said, we want a Matrix 4, but we're only going to give you we want it to come out in 2021. So we're only going to give you so much money by the way. COVID is also still happening and uh, we're only going to give you so much time to do it. So their original like fight choreographer stunt, uh, stunt coordinator was not, did not do the movie at all. So they didn't have a lot of the wire work and, and cool fight stuff that they did in the first three, especially the first one. But it also, had a lot of meaning to it as someone who saw the original one, uh, saw, saw matrix and you and I are about the same age as Keanu and he's gone through a journey. Um, yes, he's, he has. yeah, he's gone through a journey. The Wachowskis have gone through their own journey, which I think is also kind of mirrored in the story. I really like it. It's when you are that much older, you are not necessarily super heroic anymore. Right. So it's a different story than Matrix 1, 2, and 3. Yeah, I think as one of our, our friends described it, it makes a, it's a good epilogue to yes. the trilogy. I would say um, so. It isn't necessarily a, a new kicking off point, but I, I really enjoyed it. I think there are, there are quibbles that I have with it, especially in the, the last third of it in terms of things felt a little, a little muddled. Um, but I loved the overall arc of it. I loved, uh, seeing Trinity again, mm-hmm. um, which I don't think that's a spoiler. Um, <laughs> and that, cause that was my, my biggest, uh, my biggest complaint about the original matrix trilogy is what happened to Trinity. Like I felt like it felt like, yeah. and I think we're allowed to talk about what happened in, uh, the third matrix movie because it's, it's been, like been a little a while. long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, Trinity, it felt like Trinity died just because Trinity had to die. Yeah. Right. Like, well, in a big action movie and this is kind of like they, they had veered into war movie territory and it's just like, it just had to happen. And it just felt so contrived at the time. Like, you know, Neo's on this journey. He's going to try and get to the end and like, well, Trinity had her purpose. We're getting rid of her, which yeah. completely was 180 from what happened in Reloaded, where you know he does everything he can to save her, right? And so, right, right. it just felt it always felt especially, wrong to me. And so, I, yeah, especially since he 
in Reloaded was having premonitions of her death and right. was fighting against them to save her, you would right. think in the same fashion he might have a similar similar premonitions about Matrix 3 with her death there. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, I I think uh I think it was definitely better um and a good I think I do think it was a good epilogue. I think it could have been done a little bit better in certain spots. I I think we both talked about those a little bit. So, I don't want to give too away too many extra spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do like I do like what they did with with the machines and such. I'm trying to think of ways to say things without spoiling it and I don't think I can. <laughs> so, I will leave it there. It is definitely worth getting a month of HBO Max and watching it if it's still out there. Plus there's yes, all think, kinds of other things for, on HBO Max that are that are pretty awesome. This is this is this is very true. So, my kids watched Matrix Reloaded because we had watched The Matrix and like, well, what about the sequels? I'm like, there are no sequels. <laughs> like, but they said there's sequels. Not like that. It's not. It's not like Highlander. It's not that. Well, bad. no, no, it is not. It is not nearly <laughs> that bad. But I'm like, you know, and they were younger at the time, and I'm like, you know, yeah. it's just guys. Trust me on this. Like, you could not see them, and it would be just fine. Maybe someday we'll we'll sit down and watch them. And then after having watched Jurassic Park three and X Men three, they were willing to believe me that perhaps the Matrix sequels are something for another day. But uh, with Resurrections coming out, we're like, okay, well, now now may be the time to go back and watch it. So we still have two more to go. We need to watch the third one, and then we need to watch Resurrections. So hopefully, maybe this weekend we'll knock it out. I, I have a question for you about X-Men 3. What was it? What happens in X-Men 3? Is that the Jean Grey one? Yeah, that is the was first that cinematic. No, Jean Grey. Well, there was the hints of Dark Phoenix in X-Men 2, and then... X-Men 3 is the actual Dark Phoenix appearance. Where she terrible. kills Scott, right? <laughs> she kills Scott. I think she yeah. kills... Does she kill Xavier? I don't remember. It's just bad. Yeah, like, it was bad. It was so bad that I was like, huh. At one point, I'm like, huh, X3. I haven't seen that. And I watched it again, and it took me three quarters of the way through the movie and to go, no, no, this bad feeling I've been having this whole time I have seen this movie before and it was that forgettable. <laughs> and and like when they they had the opportunity to redo Dark Phoenix, they redid Dark Phoenix and it was still not good. I mean, <laughs> I'll, I'll give a little hint to Marvel folks. I don't know that there's anybody who's actually out there like who listens to us, but Dark Phoenix has an iconic look, right? Jean Grey should be surrounded by the Phoenix flames and it should take on the form of a giant phoenix <laughs> and it I should mean, be cool and it should be awesome and if you need to know what it's supposed to look like then go watch the x-men animated series because they did it right <laughs> or, or read the comics from that time <laughs> or know? read the comics that's the that's comics. that's where they got the iconography for the, yeah. the series oh uh there is a new x-men animated series coming out that's supposed to take place right after theoretically right after the last animated series ended that yes. will be interesting like 90s x-men yeah 90s x-men which yeah. would be fantastic yeah so. especially if they get a good uh -na 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 -na. if they get a good <laughs> yeah. theme song again i think it'll 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 do well so as as an x-men fan hope springs eternal i hope that marvel <laughs> now that they have the rights back will make good on uh dark phoenix saga for the third time but like i don't know there's only so many times you can return to that particular well <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, and and uh, I believe Dark Dark Phoenix Saga happened before I started reading uh, X Men because it was late sixties, early seventies. I think was Dark Phoenix Saga. Maybe I'm wrong, but no, I think it was. It might have been early eighties. I messed up because I collected backwards. Like I started reading in the late nineties, or no. Late eight, late eighties, early nineties, and I started collecting backwards. So, uh, but I bet you the internet okay. would tell us. Yes, it came out in nineteen eighty. Um, and I think I was, and I know I was after that because I remember shortly after I started was Chris Claremont with the Brood, which would have been eighty two. Good stuff. So there would have been two years okay. after after which which. To, you know, 11-year-old me was ancient history for two <laughs> years before was Dark Phoenix Saga. So it's like, no, that's like black and white comics or something. Uh, so, yeah, I've never actually read Dark Phoenix Saga. Um, but yeah, evidently it is, it is, uh, it was one of those big, big milestones in X-Men history. So, because I've and never stopped future- hearing about it. Days of Future Past. Yeah, that yeah. and Days of Future Past. Yeah. Which was actually a good movie. Yeah. Um, but in yep. any case, we do actually have a main topic. We do. We do. We were gonna talk about uh game preparation since we are preparing to run uh Scum and Villainy, which I've got here underneath the Buckaroo Bonsai novel. Um so Scum and Villainy <laughs> is uh, we're getting together some old podcasting friends of ours, maybe one or two new people. Once they're all not struck down with COVID, uh, we'll actually might be able to get together and play. (laughs) So uh, we were hoping over uh, the holidays uh, that we could get together with them and and do kind of like a session zero or talk about it. Both real life and sickness and, you know, holiday plans did not make for that to happen. So my bad luck with gaming, I'll blame it on that. My bad luck with, with <laughs> getting or getting or keeping a group together uh, has has cursed this game so far. But we wanted to talk about yeah game preparation. Like, what do we do uh, to prepare for a game? Either uh, a single session, uh, a one shot, uh, like a single session in a campaign, a one shot, um, or preparing for a campaign in general. The first thing I'm going to say is that not only do the do you prepare differently for each of those things, but you also prepare differently for what game system you're going to run. Like if you're running D and D in a world, you know, really well, or a world you've created, which hopefully you would also know really well. Um, that's a different type of preparation than you would prep for say scum and villainy or Brindlewood Bay where explicitly in the rules it says this is a player driven game so i think we're going to talk about a little bit more on the side of how do we prep for scum and villainy um but also we'll touch on prep on prepping for like a a quote-unquote normal traditional D &D game so i guess we can call it traditional since it's been out since the 70s you know yes old school (laughs) Yeah. Original? Original recipe? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Something like that. I mean, traditional makes me feel less old than old school. <laughs> okay. Especially since I have 
some of those original books. So, you know. <laughs> Looked over to his bookshelf, as do I. Yep. yep. As do I. I, I. I had to show uh, Aaron. Uh, she was like, I. Okay. Tangent. Extreme Dungeon Mastery volume or uh, edition two is coming out. And Howard Taylor of um, Schlock Mercenary fame is doing all the artwork for it. And he, as part of the Kickstarter, they had some extra artwork that they gave you as like computer desktops. And they have the, the I think it's Trampus, it's Trampus, but I don't remember his last name. Um, I want to say Whiteman, but that doesn't sound right. Um, but he did the cover of the first edition player's handbook where there's the two thieves levering out the big gem in the eye of the, this idol. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Howard Taylor, not Howard Taylor. Yeah. Howard Taylor, uh, did, did a, um, I think it's called like Trampus fixed, um, which is the same idol holding the bowl of flames, but now it has a patch over its right eye. <laughs> the other eye still has the big gem in it, but this has like a big leather patch over over the top of that eye. Anyway, sorry, back to back to game preparation. Uh one, uh don't get sidetracked. <laughs> I mean, sidetracking is good for creative thought and and coming up with different ideas um and it has its place, but if you're prepping for a game that night, it's probably not a good idea to get sidetracked. Yes. Although nothing, <laughs> I find that nothing inspires like a deadline. <laughs> that is true. That is very true. <laughs> I have, I have found inspiration come to me like the hour before people are supposed to show up at my door and I'm like, but now I have this great idea and I only have 30 minutes to finish it. Yep. That, that is okay. in totally my mind, uh, that is known as, um, there's a Ted talk about it. Another slight tangent but a very short one where normally there's uh, this, the, your brain is a giant ship's wheel and the, the fun monkey wants to do whatever they want when they want to do it. So they're in control of the wheel. Um, but then when the deadline approaches this, there's like a scary furry monster in the corner that starts coming out and scares <laughs> the monkey away and allows you to pilot the ship the way it should be piloted to get things done. But that is the way I have tended to work as well is uh deadlines make me focus indeed indeed so how do what so what's been your approach to like traditional session prep so traditional session prep uh if i'm doing just one session of a longer campaign if it's in the middle of the campaign it's so much easier because i know the characters i know i have a good idea of which way they're gonna jump when i go boo i also know the world around them like the state of the world around them, the NPCs, et cetera, at that moment in time. So I can, I can plan a session or two in advance because I know the world. When I am going into a brand new game, session prep becomes much harder. Because I have that background knowledge to fall back on in an existing campaign, you know, you'll hear, you'll hear stuff, you'll hear GM advice of don't over-prepare, don't do too much work because all of it'll get lost. There is some truth, a grain of truth to that. But if you're world building, um, and you're building fleshed out NPCs, et cetera, 
even if, you know, if you build a shopkeeper NPC or a, or a noble NPC or somebody that they're, they're supposed to meet, um, and they don't go to that shop, you still have that in your brain or written down somewhere. And so when they go to another shop, you can just pull that character out again and be ready with them. You know, I'll, I will plan for just enough adventure to do a night, maybe a little bit more and not go overboard with the world building, but that's only because I've already done the world building. Right. If I'm talking about a brand new campaign, a session for like a brand new campaign, I will do enough world building that there will be lots of hooks for players to grab onto or get grabbed by and have little plot threads for those hooks, enough role-playing and maybe a, a combat encounter too, that when I know what hook they're going to grab, that'll be the next session. And so I can, I can have kind of like a short ninjas attack <laughs> sort of uh, initial set or world or a lot of role-playing. If that's the way the group rolls as the initial session, and kind of introducing the world, introducing a problem, and then have other sessions from there. It has also depended, some of my better games have been when the players uh, have come with backstories and they've done some of the work. You know, I'll let right. people know, here is the world, here's the setting, you know, the, the couple pages of setting, go ahead and read through it ahead of time. If they do, great. If they don't, Eh, well, they'll learn during the game, I guess. Uh, but you know, if they come, you know, I've had whole campaigns that have centered around everyone. We created characters and then everyone gave me their, their character backstories. And then I used those backstories to prep for the campaign and for the sessions. And I made sure to read those basically love letters to the GM and saying, this is what interests me and pull those things in. And that makes my prep easier. Right. Gotcha. I think um, for me, I've, I think there's definitely been like an, an arc or trajectory to how I've done game prep. So when I started, I over prepped. And so I guess that, you know, the funny thing about over prep is I don't know that I would agree that there's it's I think if it becomes over preparation when you don't have time to do it. Right. Yeah. So when I was in my 20s and I didn't have kids and we were gaming every week and I needed to, you know, I was spending like, I don't know, five or six hours working on my campaign. And like my approach was to create this web and I create all of these different storylines that are out there. And I'm kind of like tracking the advance of the different storylines. And if they interact with them, they interact with them. And if they don't, they don't. And and I was very hesitant to do what you describe. Like, oh, well, I created this this shopkeeper over here. I'll just reuse them over there. Well, no, he's over there. Like I can't reuse him because what if they <laughs> encounter him over there, right? Um, and so I think it was, you know, I would write like, I don't know, 20 pages of notes, right? Like just... And I was having fun doing it. So yeah. yes, it was over prep in terms of it's a ton of content. Did I use 10% of it? Uh, probably. Yeah. <laughs> right. But I was having fun doing it. I think where it starts started to change is once I had kids and um, more responsibilities at work and more, yes. you know, activities that weren't D and D yes. suddenly, well, now it is over prep because you don't have time to dedicate that kind of effort. <laughs> working on the campaign it may still be fun but you don't you literally don't have the time to spend that much effort into world building and npc creation people creation and and magic right. item creation etc um backstories and interwoven stuff 
you don't have the time to do that, you may only have time to prep a session or two. Right. And there's a, so there's this, the psychic disconnect where you have to give it up, right? Like you have to come to this moment where you're like, okay, well, I can't do this anymore. And so like, I would started reducing the number of pages that I was doing. I finally got to the point where I'm like, and I had been reading a couple of things. I think we had talked about the, um, four room dungeons. Five, was it five room dungeon? Five room dungeons. Yeah. Five room dungeons. Um, you know, it's more of a narrative style of dungeon where, you know, you've got like a set number of things that are going to happen in the dungeon instead of like mapping out this huge, massive thing. Right. And I've been thinking about that approach to the caverns of Kazil because really there's a couple of the story needs to advance in the caverns. There's some interesting encounters they'll have there. But at the end of the day, it's the story that's the thing. Right. Um, and so I'm like, OK, well, I got to I got to I got to start editing down. So I created a uh, this template and I called it my my three page manifesto when I posted it up on Nuketown. Um, and my goal was don't write more than three pages, right? Got it. And like, here's the stock things I'm going to have every time. I'm going to have a brief recap for myself of what happened before. I'm going to note what the weather is because we liked using the weather in Greyhawk. Um, you know, what is my goal for this particular session? And here are like the three to four things that I expect to happen during this session. Right. Mm -hmm. I might call mm -hmm. out player goals too. Like there's, this is what I know I want the player. I know what the players are going to want to accomplish. And so I would call those things out and it just made me more focused when writing because I would only have an hour to do my adventure prep. <laughs> Can't write 16 pages in an hour. I'm not that good. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's, that's, I'm probably going to notice it as a common thread, but, and, and other people may not, but like, you know, what your players, the characters want. And, you know, if you're running a, a game that's been going on for a while, you know, you know, you know, the goals of your characters and can plan. And, and theoretically, the last session ended with they're either in the middle of something or they're about to start something new and have talked about what that something new is going to be. And so, you know what to prep. Um, a lot of times, uh, at, at least in recent years. Part of my problem has been I am starting a new group with with people that I know but not necessarily have gamed with very often. Um, so I don't know their personalities. We're all older, so they don't do the four or five page backstories like they used to. Um, and I right. so it's it's like it's like writing a module for a convention or or for publication. You have no idea who's going to sit down at the table, and that has been much harder for me to prep for than for you know my college friends when we used to play you know and and or even when uh when i was running vampire that makes me proud still to this day people still talk about that game it makes me happy that i was able to bring that much joy to them where i said hey here's the vampire book ignore the rules for character creation but look at the dots for you know where you are and just create yourselves um as humans you know as yourself and so we created everybody and i led them all through each each of them through a prelude they all got turned in one way or another and there's you know it's it was one of those things of okay we're all back from college it's it's uh christmas break we just finished vampire game the day before Hey, everybody, we're going to get together. What do you guys want to do? It's like, run your vampire game. Uh, I don't have anything prepped. We don't care. <laughs> Just run it. And But, you know, I knew those people. They were playing themselves. 
they were in a, you know, is, is a stranger in a strange landish sort of thing of, you know, we were humans. Now we're vampires. What do we do? And I had enough knowledge of the way I ran the vampire world that we could just riff on it. Um, and there were days where we didn't even pick up dice. It was just all role-playing. Right. You know, we didn't even have characters. It's like, at one point, it's like, we, we don't have our character sheets or anything. It's like, we don't care. We're just going to role-play and we're just going to do this stuff. But again, time is the enemy of a lot of things. Right. <laughs> those days, I would love to return to those days, but unless we all become independently wealthy, I don't see us being able to dedicate that much time to a role-playing uh, thing. You know, maybe all yeah, of our... I, I remain... Yeah, I was going to say maybe all of our listeners out there, which are not very many probably at this point, you know, maybe we'll become the next critical role, but I doubt it. I would love that. I, I am I still hopeful of a, of a golden age of uh, when the kids go to college and I get a, a larger amount of free time back. I mean, that, that will free up a significant amount of time and, and hopefully some of my friends uh, will be able to like, you know, their challenge is all of our kids are of different ages. My kids are probably the oldest of my particular peer group. So it's going to be a little while before they catch up and damn it. I will play role-playing games in nursing homes. Like I will, I will game until the end of days. <laughs> I was, I was going to say in about 15 years, we'll have a lot of time. Um, and exactly, yeah, exactly. I, years ago. And of course not being, you know, not being rich, uh, have never been able to get this to happen. I would love to basically make a retirement community for gamers. <laughs> Which would be fantastic, right? <laughs> my my parents live in one right now and you know it's a lot of like uh single story um summer bungalows which used to be called duplexes but aren't, you know, that's not the good word for them when you're trying to sell a house. Right. Um there's bungalows, there's single basically single family ranch style stuff, etc. Um, and then there, but there's like a community center in the middle of the, of the place, which has several different meeting rooms and a pool and, and an exercise gym, et cetera. And I was like, well, and it's got a huge library <laughs> of stuff. And I'm like, well, we could totally do that with gamers. And we could even set it up. So some of the, some of the floor plans of some of these bungalows and single ranch style houses and stuff have a game room area, you know, so that if you don't want to go to the public area, you could have some, some friends of yours come over to your place and, you know, sit at your table, uh, in your game room sort of thing. Yeah. I would love to do that. I just, I do not have any idea of what it would take to do that. <laughs> so I'm hopeful that I will encounter some of those gamers wherever I go. Cause this, I've been, I've been pretty lucky with that, but, yeah. um, so going back to prep, I think, you know, at this point it's down to, I'm not actually running a full length camp, like a full length four hour sessions right now style game. Um, because other players are other folks in my group are currently the lead DM. And so I've been running these one hour sessions for lunchtime gaming. Um, and so my prep there has just been a lot shorter focused on what's going to be happening for that particular time. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll still kind of come up with the arc for the overarching episode. Um, and then they'll work through that particular episode. But now I, I think what I do is I'll still do a one pager or like a two pager with my notes for that particular session. And then 
the world building stuff I'll put out somewhere else. Like so, the caverns of Kaziel have had lore that's been building up over the last two years. Every time I come up with something new for the caverns of Kaziel goes into that file uh i have the storm of heaven which is this starship that crashed in the setting and they've been slowly learning stuff about well i've been squirreling away little details about the storm of heaven over time but you know 25 year old me would have built out the whole backstory for the storm of heaven right 50 year old me is like yeah i got a kind of an idea it's going in approximately the right direction yep yep (laughs) I I'm I'm in a little bit of the middle of that in terms of like where I've usually done things. I I will definitely flesh out certain areas, but I've also known of like players are weird and fickle creatures and I'll throw something out that is like I'm just tossing it off and then the players will latch onto that thing and that becomes the right. focus for like months. And so one of the things I've done is just sprinkle little basically one-liners out out there uh you know rumors or talking with people just names on a map right and maybe a short backstory for that map for that area like i have an area called the halambu rift um halambu happens to be a an area in nepal that i hiked through i thought it was a cool name so i put it in there and the halambu rift is a giant uh, Grand Canyon-like valley in a remote mountain range that was said to be created when uh, the God of War struck the Earth with his sword in the fight with the demon. When they go there, that is where the dinosaurs live on my world. But they don't know that going in. But you know, like, but that's about all that I have for that area. But if the players actually get there there's a lot that could be filled out, but I, but I don't need to fill it out right now. Right. But it's enough. If they research it, you know, if they find someone who's come back from there or they find a tome of someone who's been there, they can find out the dinosaurs are there or that it's a giant rainforest at the bottom of the cavern or whatever. So I know enough about it to sound rich, but not actually be rich. (laughs) Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. So I think, you know, transitioning to a little bit about like campaign uh-huh. style stuff. So I uh-huh. have my holding up my binder. This is my binder for Obsidian Frontier, which was nice. one of my uh, my latest D&D. It was the last, I guess it was the last D&D campaign I ran, I think. It was a prequel campaign to our long running game. And uh, and so what I would do in my in my binder was, you know, I would sit down and I would get everything organized, right? So this is where my session notes would go into. Um, If I had a calendar, it would be in there. I would go through old Dungeon and Dragon magazines and pull out random tables or just go out onto the internet and say, okay, well, Mm -hmm. hey, I want to have, you know, they keep asking me for these freaking NPC names because we're in a city and I don't have a list of NPC names. So I would go photocopy that, throw it into the book. Um, So if I'm doing a longer term campaign, I like to build up kind of the tools because ultimately this helps me with my game prep, right? Right, because I'm not building it all on the fly. I'm not building it all ahead of time anymore. So I need kind of the tools ready to go, so that I can just open to a page, roll some dice, and you're good. Yeah, you you said about uh, NPC names or you know character names. That is something. No matter what you're prepping for, if you don't have a list handy, you will guaranteed need to give a name <laughs> to some shopkeeper or some person passing by on the street, and either intentionally or unintentionally, one of the characters is going to go, what's your name? And, uh, right. and suddenly you're like, oh, 
So yeah, like that's one of the things I'm going to do for scum, scum and villainy, either the setting that's in the book, or if we decide we're going to use scum and villainy rules and run in the star Wars universe, I'm going to have probably a list of 20 or 30 male names, female names, alien names, gender neutral names, whatever, just a whole huge list of names. And then the next person that gets found, if I don't have a name for them, the top name on that list or the coolest sounding <laughs> name at the time, that's their name. Um, and then write it down, write a little bit about their character, you know, like who that person is and their personality down. So you don't forget because guaranteed the person you think is, is like the throwiest away character is the one that the players are going to latch onto and come back to. So you need to remember that, <laughs> that person. <laughs> That is one thing that I will definitely do with prep is make sure that I have a list of character names handy for when they meet people. Yeah. So I think, you know, transitioning from, so like we're talking a lot about traditional games and I think um, one of the things I saw in fate and blades in the dark and now, you know, scum and villainy um, or dungeon world, any of these things that are more being driven by the players and the players are expected to not only have the agency, but also be like, in some ways, the goals. primary world builders. Yeah. Um, or Brendlewood Bay, right? Like, was another. Brendlewood Bay is huge. That. Yeah. That's what tripped us um, up is because we're used to traditional gaming. <laughs> and Brendlewood Bay is not a traditional game. It's a good game, but. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I feel like, like lessons learned from all of these things that we've done in the past. Like, it seems to me like. It's almost like you, the, the so the players are going to do a certain amount of stuff, but they sometimes they just need the prime the pump. And I mean, I think we have a good mix of players, but a lot of us are traditional. A lot of our players are traditional. Yeah, um, they have some experience with different games, but like um, making certain leaps and assumptions here. But you know, I think it's there's going to be something of a learning curve as we switch to from like a D and D mindset to a, a, a Blades in the Dark scum and villainy mindset. Yeah, and so if feels to me like it could be helpful to in addition to the big list of names like have if there's world building stuff that you as the the game master or we as the game master are doing it's like okay i have i'm just gonna rattle off on a piece of paper five guild names five clan names five criminal organization names and like a one-line blurb about what each one of those things is right? yeah um, yeah. And I haven't made enough into the background of scum and villainy to be able to say um, what that is. But that's what I did with my Star Wars campaign. Like, there's just like stuff that you can quickly pull because you don't want the the campaign or the session to kind of flounder because for lack of detail. But you also can't anticipate everything the players are going to do. <laughs> yeah, and that's I mean that's one of the things that scum and villainy, blades in the dark, and such does as part of character creation is you get bound to like relationships with other groups, both positive and negative, you know, and, right. and like scum and villainy has a list of things like the guild of engineers, one of the hegemonic high guilds responsible for resource acquisition, cybernetics, AI tech advancement and research. And then there's a whole bunch more information, but that's your, your title and your sentence, you know, house Mal, uh, Malclaith, Far from the hegemon at the center of the galaxy, a disgraced fifth son of the house holds a small seat on a local moon, you know, and that's another faction. Um, the Janus syndicate, the lost legions, the mendicants, the maelstrom, you know, this it's all in the back of the book. 
Yeah, I didn't get that far yet. <laughs> yeah, and one of the things that I'm going to do, what I'd like to do is see if there is a primer or a shortened version of the history and like the name and one sentence descriptions of these different places and send it out to all the players. Uh, Cause I was trying to decide to describe the setting to Aaron and that's exactly what she asked for is like, I, I just want like a short list of stuff. Um, like right. if we were playing in star Wars, uh, as long as we said, Hey, we're in the Mandalorian era, you know, after, after what, seven, eight, nine, this is what the galaxy's like. If you call, if you say black sun, even though that's not in any of the movies or in any of the, uh, shows, uh, that I can recall, most people know that black sun is a criminal organization in star Wars in about that same era. You know, right. if you say a hot cartel or something like that, people just get it because that knowledge is already there. I'd kind of like to place this setting in scum and villainy, but if we need to, and because everyone has a grasp on the world, having a grasp on the world is really important for the players to have goals and agency in there that fit within the right. setting. Right. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I can see how that would be like, you're already learning a new game. Uh, yes. Being able to, not get tripped up by the lore of the setting and figuring out the lore of the setting, unless that's one of the major attractions to the game is like learning those things. And I think, you know, to your point, and we saw that with like, you know, with uh, um, Blades in the Dark, the fact that your character sheet says that you have a connection to said criminal organization or to this drug dealer or to, you know, the little old lady who lives in the house above you, um, that gives you built-in contacts that you can go to and talk. Yes. It gives you built-in background that you can do something with instead of like, uh, I don't know who your drug dealer is. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I but, mean, that. I mean, we all started out, even with traditional games, well, I don't know about we all, I certainly did. I started out with basic D&D. Basic D&D did not have a setting. Basic D&D was like, <laughs> here you go. And I didn't even start out with Keep on the Borderlands. Like, I started out I learned D&D during a summer camp when the college kid who was a counselor decided, hey, we're going to run D&D and then ran his own thing with even a, a someone, a, a third party had come out with a three ring binder full of monsters and he was using those, <laughs> not the monster manual. It is generic fantasy and everyone had seen Conan by then. And so it was like, okay, cool. We're going to be swords and sorcery, you know, and I'd read. Uh, oh no, I hadn't read uh, Lord of the Rings yet, so or or Hobbit yet. I knew enough about sword and sorcery that it was cool, and I was young enough that I didn't sweat the details. Right, we're older now, <laughs> and while we could do that, we could totally play in the existing scum and villainy setting. Uh, I keep lifting up the book and showing it. Uh, I don't know why, <laughs> but we could totally. But you know, and it's it's a pretty thick book, but most of it is various types of rules and understanding of those rules and examples. And the back third of the book is kind of like how the world works. Again, it goes back to time. Either everybody reads a little bit of it or I read right. a lot of it and do info. Dumps. <laughs> right. I'd rather have the former enough 
where we're all on the same page. And then if, if we don't know anything, we'll just make it up. That's fine. But we're all making it up at the same time together. And so it's right. all a shared universe at that point. Right. Yeah. So I, th- I think, so I guess the, you know, in terms of prep for, um, for scum and villainy, uh, regardless of setting. So, you know, the idea, and it's been a little bit since I looked at the book, uh, but going back to our like blades in the dark run and what have you, like as the GM, you're setting up, like there's a job, right? Or a selection of jobs. Yeah. Or a selection of jobs, but you don't, so you may really plan more than that. Yeah. But you don't really plan necessarily more than that. You may have like some nebulous ideas of what is in that job, but unless the players pick that job, that may or may not happen. One of the things I do like about the rule set is, you know, the players go, yeah, we're going to, you can't plan a ton about it because, okay, we've got this group of bounty hunters and, you know, we, we've got the bounty who's going to be in this building at this time. Uh, and you're like, okay, well, these are, are ru- the, the last few, several games, they're rough and tumble bounty hunters. They usually kick, kick down the door and start shooting. Well, this may be the one game where it's like, okay, you have to go get this, this guy. He's in this government building and he's, uh, he's going to be here. Uh, how are you going to approach this? You know, and there's five different approaches. And then that's the one time when the group goes, we're going to, we're going to social our way in, you know, and if you've planned out like firefights and locks and all kinds of other stuff. You know, it's like, okay, well, let me just throw those 80 pages over my shoulder and you're going to go in and, and talk with the receptionist, you know, sort of thing. And, but then you, you also then have to roll because there's not a lot of planning. You also have to roll to see how well the approach went. And so like, if the approach goes really well, you could set them up in one way. If the approach goes really poorly, you have to set them up in another way. And how do you plan for that? Yeah, so it, it, it feels to me, so I was, as you were talking, I was thinking about Fate of Cthulhu, um, which is uh, a, a, a book we talked about before, which is, you yep. know, basically like a, a collection of different apocalypse stories. You know, the, the great yep. old one, a great old one has awoken in the future. You're going back in time to stop it. And those, you know, those campaigns um, and the, the individual arcs within those campaigns, um, they don't go into super detail. They just touch on like the major points. So yeah. I haven't prepped for a Blades in the Dark or Scum and Villainy game, but it feels like the amount of prep you might need to do is like just the highlights. Like you, it, so there's a crime lord who's holding a person, and so you kind of have to know who the crime lord is. You need to know who they're holding. You kind of need to know like the name of their palace. Like some high level details or some high level things that you know. There's a high frequency. There's a high chance that the PCs are going to interact with one way or another. Yeah, so that you have enough so that you're not completely making it up because i think you know going back to our earlier talk about brenda wood bay it seems to me that that's the thing that tripped you up the most yeah it was was like as the, the dm <laughs> the, the the npcs you know it's like oh right. okay you're gonna go interview these npcs well i don't know who these npcs are i have to make all that stuff up on the spot that was where i could have prepared better for brenda wood bay of like how does the butler react how does the the rich family on the yacht react to the father who's been thrown overboard, you know, uh, how does the fishmonger react because that guy's body is in his, his fish freezer, but he's also a friend of the family, (laughs) you know, like how does all that 
how do all those people talk, react, you know, what are they going to show? What are they going to hide? But also without any prejudice in my mind of who killed the person, <laughs> right? <laughs> which, which lends its own little wrinkle there. Right. In terms of like scum and villainy. Yeah. Like you're, you're breaking into the government facility. Well, who's the bounty? I have to know something about the guy, that person who the bounty is, you know, is he under in custody or is he work there? You know, what, what sort of defenses would be there? You know, what sort of civilians would be there? You know, the major players in the, in that job, I should at least have a sketch of in my notes about that. And then maybe like, if there's anything unusual or ultra normal, in those areas, you know, what, what would that be? You know, like if we're, I don't know why it just popped into my mind, but like you have to fix the engine on a starship, you know, as you're escaping and suddenly it's a galaxy quest scene with giant chompers. It's like, who designed this thing? Maybe that's one of the things that I pre thought out and planned for as a possible obstacle to get around. But Depending upon your approach, you may never actually get that, to that part. You may do something else. So I was thinking back to my Star Wars campaign. Like I know there was one session I did, which we had a lot of fun with, where uh, they were going to a planet that was tidally locked. So and we may have talked about this before, but so you have a very hot side of the planet, and you have a very cold side of the planet, and there's a yep. very thin habitable zone, and they have to venture out into a ruined temple uh, deep within... Uh, the the sunlit side, and so a big part of the adventure in getting there was figuring out, um, like you know, maintaining the walker and the systems on the walker to keep it going so that they could actually get to this uh, sun blasted like ruins of a Jedi temple. Got it. And um, and so in a prep like this, it's like you're not you're not going to do the well. I'm not setting up the walker. I'm not going to do any of that. I'm going to know that there's a sun there's a there is a temple embedded on the hot side of this planet. Yeah. Temperatures are a thousand degrees. Yeah, uh, lead melts. <laughs> yeah, and the thing you got to get to there, the MacGuffin is inside the temple, and yeah. in, and in Scum and Villainy, they're going to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, they're going to be like, well, we're going to land our ship there. We're going to go up and we're going to land our ship there. Uh, we're going to you know, figure out if there's another way to, to get there. And then they find the Walker or, you know, they social somebody or whatever. Um, yeah, exactly. It's like, you have to know the objectives and the problems in the way or some of the problems in the way. Um, yes. Obviously having not run this for you guys yet, but like, I imagine if I'm going to say, here's a job, I'm going to have to prep a little bit at least for all the approaches, like what, right. like at least ask myself the question, what happens if they kick down the door and start shooting? What happens? And they go loud. What happens if they sneak? What happens if they social? I don't remember all, all the, the different approaches, but there's the mystic one. And honestly, just talking about this right now is also good for that prep because it's making me realize some things that I hadn't thought about in terms of, of actually planning this game. How do I plan for this game is actually a pretty good question to ask. <laughs> planning engagement. Oh, I wasn't even close. It's all the way. It's all, it's like planning engagements in like after the first third of the book, it's like page 148. 
Yeah, so you can assault, you can use deception, you can infiltrate, you can use mystic. Yeah, you can use mystic. Uh, you can use social, or you can use transport. You know, and so the idea is like, well, deception and social, or or infiltration and social, sound very similar, but will have slightly different outcomes. With deception, you're trying to trick your way past, whereas social, you're bargaining, persuading your way through. You're given bribes or you're saying, oh, I know this guy. Well, so I was going to ask you, since you're further along in the book than I am, I actually, so I had every intention of, of reading the book over Christmas break. And then I got, and I'm holding it up, the Alien Starter <laughs> Set box set, which completely distracted me because it comes with fun dice. Oh, and, okay. Uh, is it, is it Fantasy and... Flight? No, it's um, it's Freedom League. Freedom League. Okay, all right. Fantasy Flight or, or is known for the Free League. Free League. Yeah, Fantasy Flight is known for their. Here's your custom dice. <laughs> oh, so this is they're actually so they're not that crazy. They're just six siders. Mm -hmm. Um, but they have uh the six is like the motion tracker icon, like the little crosshairs. Okay. The blip in the middle, and the ones are uh, face huggers. Okay. Okay. Got it. So it's not. In the, you could still use regular yeah. D6s. Unlike yeah. like the Star Wars sixes, Edge D6s. of the Empire, it's like, nope, you have to use this custom D12 with, with different numbers, different symbols on each face. Which has different symbols. I think it's, it, it's slightly easier to differentiate. And, and I mean, there are alien-themed dice. Who doesn't want those? Yeah. But um, yeah, you could totally get away with regular D6s, as long as you have two different colors of D6s. But in any case, my Got question it. for you is going to be, do you have a sense for... When it comes to like NC NPC prep or like setting difficulty challenges, like how much of that do you think you need to do ahead of time in terms of like building out an NPC? Cause that's what tripped me up when we were preparing for fate. Like, cause I was totally overthinking it as we've discussed before. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I need to know kind of like how strong they are. Most, if not all of the roles are being done by players. So I just need to right. know. Oh, you're in a fight with this person. How do the how what's their strength in relation to you? You know, in the in the way that you're fighting them. You know, if you, are you have a blaster shootout and you're a sharpshooter and they are, you know, a guy protecting his house who's hardly ever picked up a gun before, well, that's not as risky of a situation as if you're fighting a bounty hunter who's coming after you and he's been a bounty hunter for 15 years. Right. You know, that's a much more risky situation to get in a blaster fight with. Right. Dat wise, I don't have to worry as much about it. Um, I just have to kind of gauge relative, you know, strengths and such. I'm still, I, I, and I, this is one of the reasons why I want to kind of do a off stream session zero or one half where right. <laughs> we play a game and we all get familiar with the rules. Cause we can yes. you can read the rules as much as you want, but until you actually play the game, you're not quite sure how different rules interact with each other, how things fall out. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to have basically a, a total party kill on the first first thing, <laughs> or a total cakewalk, which isn't which isn't any fun. Right. Yeah. In terms of prepping NPCs, I I think I need to know, you know, names personalities who they're uh affiliated with if they're affiliated with any factions if you're beating up a gang of mercenaries and the mercenaries happen to be with the faction that you were friendly with 
and they and it gets back to them that you beat up these gang of mercenaries because you were on a job your standing with that faction could go down right or you might have some explaining to do <laughs> yeah i think to your point i think you know i think this game's gonna be a lot about and i think this is why you do need your, your session like one half or what have you is figuring out where to put your emphasis on prep right because mm-hmm. a lot of it could be you know what you think you have to prep for isn't actually what you have to prep for and how much of the players helping you so much of this game is about like collaboratively figuring out what the challenge is and and what you can bring to bear to defeat particular challenge so it becomes more important to know that this is a hoity-toity high-end crime lord and uh and he's got high level encryption on his computers right it's almost like having trait or um, aspects within fate right like yes crime lord rich I've got the best security, right? And so you know that you're going up against high-level security as opposed to like just some, you know, scum. <laughs> yeah. Who's uh, you know, they they have a, you know, they lock the door, but you know, you could knock it out with a blaster, right? Yep. The other thing that I'm going to definitely do is there is a section in how to play for the game for the players, um, but there's also a running the game sections and starting the game, etc. in the book that I'll be reading, you know, once or twice, <laughs> you know, before we, <laughs> we get started. One of the other thoughts that I was thinking is, you know, we're going to have kind of our session zero where we create characters and we create the crew and decide what ship we have, etc. But I also kind of want to do that session one half by handing out like effectively pre-gen characters or different playbooks with with slightly different backgrounds and then having that crew those people that you guys would be playing but have those people be in the game as well uh as npcs at that point (laughs) so that you would also have a touchstone there of like oh yeah i know these guys these guys are really you know horrible or these guys are are you know really mean people or whatever because that's who you played them as before and right. that kind of also I gives me cool. kind of like instant instant NPCs that I can pull from that you guys have added flavor to. Right. It kind of serves double duty of us learning the rules and making the world a little richer. Who knows? They could all get killed off in that session, too. <laughs> yes, that has happened. Yeah. Uh, I really like the some of the pieces in here that it are slightly different. Kind of different and kind of not from Star Wars. Hyperdrive technology was originally a force-based power and or artifact. And then they figured out technologically how to use hyperdrives without using the force. So they made it a completely technological solution. Whereas Scum and Villainy, the precursors or the Ur, are like this alien race or maybe multiple races, depending upon how you read this, that are now all gone. But their artifacts, I kind of liken it sort of like the precursor alien race artifacts that you sometimes find in like Borderlands, uh, the Borderlands video game. But basically, there's these pieces of Ur tech that are completely foreign, don't map to any technology that, that people really know today, especially the characters, but they know how to interface with it. And so that's how you go through warp gates. You have your ship, if it is faster than light capable, has a piece of Ur tech 
embedded inside of its engine that allow you to use the warp gates uh, successfully and travel faster than light. There are also other Ur artifacts, but the more powerful the Ur artifacts is, the quirkier it gets. You know, like there's a like it will have a quirk that is attached to it. I always like having like A plots, B plots, C plots sort of thing going on. I would like to have the majority of things be character driven, but I also want the universe to feel alive. And so like right. this, maybe it's an A plot, maybe it's a C plot. Other things will be happening that the players have the choice to interact with or not. But regardless of their choice and because of their choice, the universe will change and maybe in ways that are good for them, maybe in ways that aren't. When I run a D&D campaign, this is what I do is we'll, I will have the villain or the proto villain, because it may not be the character's villain if they don't care about them. They're doing something. And if the characters don't get in the way of that, something that's being done, that something's going to happen. And then they're going to have to live with the fallout of that. If they get within, if they get in the way of the villain, well, I've got my plot lines, you know, like there's, there's the path that has just been <laughs> chosen and I know what to do, but otherwise I can still make the game world feel alive. If this villain who they decided, nope, we're not dealing with that person. Somebody else may step up to try and stop that villain, but it's entirely possible that those people would fail. And so that, you know, then the players still have to deal with that, you know, the fallout of what happens uh, later on. Right. So I, I, the, that sort of thing is something that I was looking at doing as well for the, the scum and villainy game was to kind of have a couple of different plot lines. And again, it kind of goes out to the how to prep for it of here's the different jobs you could go on. If there's the C plot out there of rogue asteroid is going to come and obliterate this space station or whatever that could be a job that you guys decide to take or not you know a faction may say hey we need you to go here and take care of that thing if you say nah we're going to go over here this is easier money well that space station may <laughs> not be there when you come back you know because maybe someone else was hired and didn't do a good job or maybe they couldn't find someone who had the skills that you do and that space station's no longer there or or something I, like I, that. I think the game lends itself to that kind of stuff in terms of the downtime, because yeah. you have this, this, the, it, it, but as we discussed before, downtime is built into every episode. It's a, it's how your, your characters rest and recover and advance. And so knowing that you have that downtime there, it's like, oh, you know, you're hanging out in the cantina and, oh, you know, that, that guy was just assassinated by, you know, this, you know, rival group of whatever's right yep. um and so it can happen kind of it can be a throwaway line in the background you can have a bunch of those to allow the story to continue moving forward without them having to actually like do the thing yeah we had talked uh in our notes we have uh some stuff about like prep tools and we talked a little bit uh, about prepping for a one shot but i think given that we're at an hour 40 already <laughs> we might cut that a little early. Why don't we each give a list of like our top three prep tools to kind of close us out? If that sounds good to you. Yeah, sure. So for, for campaigns in particular for anything, and then you can name what it would be for. Gotcha. So I think um, at this point, so Typora, which is a, a markdown editor, 
uh, is like my number one tool. I do all of my notes using Typora. It's a little thing, but I love using Markdown for writing all of my campaign notes. So <laughs> uh, Interesting. that's just the technology that I use. Yep. Um, I still do the I still do a campaign binder. Uh, you know, we've talked previously. I also do a, uh, a campaign bullet journal, um, which has kind of replaced my bullet my my binder for this particular uh, particular lunchtime game that I'm running. Um, but always having some sort of thing that's collecting my notes, and I prefer to have something physical because it just it makes it easier to go back and page through it. Um, and then the last one uh, is perhaps a bit unusual is Pinterest. Uh, it's uh, it's not just for crafts, folks. There's a lot of oh great ideas that are out on Pinterest. Type sci-fi into type sci-fi into Pinterest, and you've got yes. artwork for days, and it's amazing. Yes, yeah. So it's fantastic for brainstorming ideas for your own, just for your own, just for your own self. I'm trying to establish uh, the feel of the setting. Um, and you just go get lost in Pinterest for an hour and you come up with great stuff. I use this for my, uh, my day after Ragnarok lunchtime campaign, which is about like the Midgard serpent rises up. The United States kills it with a nuclear bomb. The serpent falls and drowns the world. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was just going out for all this like great fifties era technology stuff, uh, like old Soviet sci-fi stuff right like you just it's, it was great to build up the feel of the campaign and i would occasionally nice. share that with players but it was off more often than not it was for me like yeah this is what i'm trying to evoke yep i've often done that with like especially if i was running a sci-fi game or my supers game in the before times we'd be in the living room and i have a chromecast so i would bring up images of like here is the facility you're you and I'll I'll have found 3D renders that students have done or or other people have done, uh, concept artists, etc. Here is the facility that you're going into, and I'll throw that up on the television that's in the in the living room, and it worked really well because people are like, I want to go there, and they'll point to a spot <laughs> on the picture, right? And and because I'd seen it before and had already been thinking about it and stuff like that, like like that was partly prep there too. Is like okay. I have I have shared my mind with theirs in terms of the visualization of things and it worked out it worked pretty well. Ironically my list is uh very similar to yours. <laughs> I've started using something called Obsidian which is also a markdown editor. One of the things I like about it and maybe um maybe your tool does too. It allows you to do linking between markdown files. Like you can say create a new thing it creates that markdown file. You start typing in it. You can say, hey, link to this. And if you've got headings in other files, it will auto-complete that. And you can then oh, go nice. and link to it. Um, and then as another part of it, it will also do kind of a mind map of all your documents connections between each other. Ooh. I've got a lot of Dyson Fall notes in there. And it's interesting to see how the graph is developing as I put my notes that have been on a whiteboard or paper into Obsidian. Markdown editor, particularly Obsidian, bullet journal or particular size of notebook that I use. And the bullet journals that I use are, are similar, but the other one was spiral bound. When I would do notes on the train, when I used to work downtown Chicago, I could flip it open so that it's only this big, not an open cover. So it was a, a lot easier for me to to write notes in there. Basically pen and paper. A session will be several sets of several pages of notes, but eventually what I would do with that is take that 
and put it more into a binder format like you were talking about. And then the third thing, what was it? I was going to say, oh, uh, third thing, especially for D&D type games would be, or actually, no, uh, for any game, my go-to name generator is fantasy name generators, fantasy name, name generators.com because they started out with just a few name generators, but over the years have added tons and tons of ones, you know, fantasy and folklore, real names. So like, if you want Dutch names, if you want Latvian names, if you want Ukrainian names, if you want Urdu names or Uyghur names, you know, they've got a bunch of those types of generators in there. Um, names for places and locations, pop culture type names. Like if you want a name that would fit within Horizon Zero Dawn or Harry Potter, you know, that's in the pop culture. Some of the things that I like are like, oh, you need uh, K-pop group names. They've got a K-pop <laughs> group name generator. They have a J-pop group name generator. They have uh, supercomputer names or steampunk, steampunk walker names. Some things are very specific. <laughs> Book titles, etc. It is a wealth of information. And what I'll usually do is it, it usually spits out like 10 at a time. And you can say, hey, make all male or all female or, or just a mix or whatever. Take all that. I'll copy it. I'll paste it into a document. So I'll have like 50 names and I'll print that out if I'm in an in-person game. And that'll just be my list of stuff. If I'm online, I'll put that into a Google Doc. And then when they meet them and I know who that person is, I'll type notes in for that person. And that person will move somewhere else. Yeah, Google Docs is right. usually where I used to put things, but I think I'm moving to Obsidian because it's not connected to any particular service. I have control of my files, which I have found uh, to be more important to me. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's it for episode four of uh, and our first episode for 2022. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you have any feedback, we love it. You can send it to us at podcast at layerofsecrets.com, or you can add us on Twitter at Layer of Secrets. And uh, you can also visit layerofsecrets.com and leave us some feedbacks or topics, ideas, or anything like that in the comments of any of these posts. Hopefully we will see you guys soon. Oh, and we have started streaming on Twitch. This has actually been streaming on Twitch. I don't think anyone has seen it. Uh, if you have, <laughs> please let us know. Have a good week. Uh, we should hopefully we'll be out next week for you guys. We're kind of on an irregular schedule still, you know, life. <laughs> yes. We will talk to you guys soon. Bye.